Why does everybody think they have ADHD now? Oh, okay. So there's, I think there's two reasons for that. There's a few sort of like viral di- popular diagnoses at the moment. One of them is autism, ADHD, and um, mm. trauma is another one. So those are the ones that are constantly being talked about. So everybody now thinks they have them. You think you have every single diagnosis yep. because every diagnosis in the DSM is... Um, First of all, that they're, they're not hard and fast, so you know it's it's an imperfect science. Um, second of all, every single one of them is rooted in human behavior, and you're going to have the full spectrum of human behavior. So you're going to see something sometimes. Oh yeah, I'm moody sometimes. I I must have ADHD too. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. There's something yep. called um, medical students' disease where. Every single student, whatever disease they read in their textbooks, they think they have it. That's a very normal thing all people do. The other reason is social media is giving us something like ADHD type symptoms. You know, you can't form a memory if there's buzzing, pinging notifications in the background. If you're constantly being interrupted, you can't form a memory. You get brain fog. And so everyone has this sort of brain fog. Think about when you're scrolling through your feed. Here's a cute cat video and then there's, you are oppressed, you piece of crap. And then there's something, you know, something else. It's disorientating. Yeah. You can't form, a. it's not a cohesive narrative. So you're getting ADHD type type of experience or slight bit of symptoms because of social media. You're reading all the stuff together. Everyone thinks they have ADHD. I've convinced myself I had autism because of one of those posts a uh, couple of years ago because it was like, you, are you sensitive to sound? And I was like, I get sensitive to sound. Like I really do get like, well, I'm really irritated by just somebody walking past or somebody chewing. And I convinced myself that I have autism, but I was like, well, there's probably a few other things that you should look into if you're going to just tell yourself you're autistic. Yeah. And why can't it just be that I'm a person who's sensitive to sounds? (laughs) That's gone out of the window now, hasn't it? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Somebody asked, what do you think about the new... um, what do you think about the new menu from Postmates that's a bottom menu? I think um, I think that – have you ever heard of someone called Rob Henderson? He's come up with this this um, great concept called luxury beliefs. So I do know Rob Henderson. Yeah. Henderson, yeah. Yeah, he's wonderful. And he's come up with this really clever guy. He's worth a follow on Twitter. Really uh, interesting stuff. And um, – So this concept of luxury beliefs is that people who are wealthy, one way for them to signal their status and their wealth in society is to have these luxury beliefs. And just like we talked about earlier with the news, someone who's really actually struggling and working like a dog doesn't have the time to be on the news. Um, Mm -hmm. So they, they can't signal these luxury beliefs. It's again, people with the time on their hands, with the money, the affluence, the university education that can signal all these sort of like American leftist identity politics based ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of corporations, because it takes, it doesn't, it doesn't take any real effort to do anything. You haven't done anything. You've just signaled a luxury belief, bottom friendly, because it's, it's pride month. So 
they're going to show off their luxury belief and show how woke they are while, you know, doing the thing apparently wokeness is against, which is capitalism. And it's just, uh, it's just a big joke, all of it. It's just a clown show that we're all watching. Mm. And we're all, we're all sort of, in, all of us, it's a product of America, but none of us are spared from it, really, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite, um, my favorite, one of my favorite meme pages. I, I love the gay meme pages yeah. on Instagram. They're, they're my favorite ones. There's, um, what is it? Um, Overheard at a gay bar. Yeah, that's a of good my one. Favorites. Yeah. Um, but I saw one that was like, what, you know, when you're a bottom, what's for dinner? And it's this guy with a pan and he's putting nothing in the pan and then scraping it all together. And then he yeah. puts it in through a filter and it's just, there's nothing yeah, <laughs> but I, I mean, I do think that you know, yes, their luxury belief—they—they absolutely nailed it with the bottom menu. Yeah, they did everything they wanted to do. They did everything they wanted to do because, yeah, you're gonna have, you know, it could also be just a slightly, you know, I don't know. They're just—they're just making a joke, and their social media or whoever person, marketing person, has a sense of humor and thought this would be funny. But mm-hmm. ultimately, when you look at the kind of the corporations all together and what they do during Pride Month is just signal the luxury beliefs. They don't do anything different. They, 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 so many of them will contribute to people who are absolutely against Pride and everything that it stands for. So they'll give them money, these corporations, while they put a rainbow in their logo. It's just, you know... I don't know. Amer- Amer- all the, the conclusion I've come to after the last two years is America is a very, very, very strange country. <laughs> very strange place. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm, my favorite is when they put like meme pages, put up um, the corporation's rainbow um, sign next to the Middle yeah. Eastern. Yeah. The Middle yeah. Eastern sign, which hasn't changed on Twitter at all. Hasn't changed one bit. Middle Eastern no. or Eastern European. There's quite a few com- countries actually where it's not allowed. Yeah. Right. Um, but in the West, yeah. Yeah. Got to scream it from the rooftops. Uh, what about, um, if you don't mind me asking, this is a, somewhat of a personal mm-hmm. question. Um, mm-hmm. I know you've been through some grief and loss recently and a lot of people, um, either are or will be dealing with that. Uh, how have you been dealing with grief? Um, it's a really difficult one. And I think, it would be really easy for me to give you some therapisty answer to this. Mm. And I'm not going to do that because I don't, there's a glitch in my brain that doesn't let me tell lies. Mm. Um, so I lost my mum. I've actually lost three people in the last two years, three big bereavements. So it's, it has knocked me sideways. And um, the most recent and probably the biggest one was my mum. And it's, it's been a huge shock to the system. And the thing I've, found about grief is that it's not what you expect especially a grief like that when you lose a parent you expect to be absolutely decimated and destroyed and you are but somehow you keep keep putting one foot in front of the other and walking um at the same time so you expect your world is going to end and it's like the worst thing happens but at the same time it's like i'm still alive though and the world is still turning it's a really strange feeling to go through and all i'd say is just take it one take it one day at a time look after yourself as best you can you can and you should compartmentalize if you want to if you want to live a life and don't just don't pretend and don't follow any you know 
other people's ideas of what you should do. Listen to yourself. If you're grieving and you're having a really tough day, let yourself grieve. Let yourself cry. Let yourself, you know, you're going to feel the most searing, horrible pain, but you're going to survive it. And there's other days where you're going to feel almost like dissociated from it. And there's other days where you're going to be kind of sad, but you're getting through the day anyway. Um, and you just you just need to listen to yourself and look after yourself. And um, generally, I find, and this is very politi- non- not politically correct advice, when you're not feeling very good, th- one of the things that makes you feel better really, really quickly is helping somebody else with something. That makes you feel good really quickly. And I know this is against the, you know, the narcissistic culture of the West. Mm -hmm. But I think um, for me, that's been uh, being there for my dad, especially, and for my family. Mm. And um, being much more dialed in. And don't let something like grief pass you by without learning something from it. Again, I know you're not supposed to learn a lesson from your trauma. Well, maybe you should. And um, don't let something like that pass you by without you becoming a bit more aware of the fact that you have a limited time on earth, the people you love um, aren't going to be around forever. And that on, you know, when you think about when you're on your own deathbed and think about your own mortality, you're going to care a lot more about the people you loved and how you were there for them than um, anything you achieved or, or didn't achieve. So yeah, it's a complex one. Probably do a whole podcast talking about grief quite easily, but yeah. <laughs> that's what I have to say on in a in a short short space of time. I I really like I really like that. I particularly like the idea of getting getting off yourself a little bit. Sometimes mm. you're just in the middle of your own the the storm that's in your head, and the only way that you can clear that storm is just actually by listening to other people or talking to other people, asking them questions, doing something nice for them. It doesn't have to be too fancy. Like sometimes you just walk out the door and uh, say good day to somebody, and everything clears. Sometimes it's just walking out the door as well. But we're such we're such indoor creatures now. Mm-hmm. You need to go go outside. You know, like all this kind of common sense, ancient wisdom. There's something to it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Get some fresh air. Go outside. See people. They, you know, these things didn't come out of a vacuum. They they all come from something. Um. So go outside, see people, move your body a bit. That's something I found quite helpful. I gained a lot of weight over the pandemic. So kind of like getting my, um, you know, getting back into looking after myself, that's made a very big difference as well. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you know, all all of those things, um, move your body a bit. You'd be surprised at how you feel. Um you know, all the stress you walk into the gym with, you kind of walk out feeling very unburdened. It does. Mm-hmm. They do make a difference. Well, it's like uh, if you, I'm sure, I know, I think you do follow Andrew Huberman, um, but he, yeah. he's, he's fantastic. But one thing he says is your brain was designed to help to make your body move. The reason that you have a brain mm. is to make your body move. So if you think about like, oh, I'm having trouble in the brain. It's like, well, there's one thing your brain really wants you to do. And it's just to, it's to move in mm. general. You don't have to do a fancy thing, deadlift squats and getting the right technique. Who cares? Go for a walk. It it'll mm. it really does do something. It's true. It's it is true. Especially if you're I'm kind of I'm quite an introverted type of person and I'm a workaholic and I work from home. So with those things combined, you know, it can be a week sometimes before I leave my house and I've had to like con- consciously say to myself, especially with 
I have a treadmill in the house. I have a multi gym and I have a garden, so I don't need to. I don't need to go anywhere. Um, <laughs> yes. So I've had to make myself. And there's a park down the road, and you know you walk down the road to the park, have a few circles of the park, and you're like, wow, it's it's like I've been on holiday. <laughs> it's it's like a different, yes. a completely different, a different outlook. Uh, it's important. I wanted to um to talk to you about. Words that I feel are overused that are, you know, a psychotherapist you'd know a lot about. Mm. For instance, I feel like there's an overuse of the word trauma. Do you agree? Definitely. Definitely. Like jump up and down. Fuck yes. <laughs> Level agree. <laughs> it's, um, it's, a uh, yeah, Jesus fucking Christ. Um, it's a complete <laughs> disaster. So, the word trauma has been subject to something we call concept creep. It's when the original concept is sort of, let's say, a different, much more watered down concept has crept onto it and diluted the meaning of a word that's quite important, like trauma, like racism, like bigotry, like misogyny, like all the words mm -hmm. that we that we have, you know, out in the public sphere at the minute. And um, trauma is a very specific thing. It's it's when you've been terrorized in a way that it leaves you with an imprint of that terrorizing event or situation or you know what you went through and it leaves you with something akin to um it, it it's almost like an imprint it it's it's like a branding or an imprint but on your nervous system on your psyche and it leaves you with sort of like almost like living with a disability because the symptoms are almost like as intense and as chronic as um, a chronic illness of some kind. So like chronic sleep disturbances, chronic nightmares, night terrors, intrusive thoughts, avoidance, panic. There's so much there. And it, it's sort of living with um, hypervigilance, you know, like a creak in the floor and you're, you're, that's it, done for. So it's a very, very specific thing. It's not, oh, mommy didn't buy me a pony. And now I'm like, that's not trauma. And you have, mm. so a, a word like that is quite important. And there's not that many people compared to sort of the amount of people, you know, claiming trauma versus those that actually have been traumatized. It's a, it's a pretty stark difference. And it's taking away the only language people with PTSD have to describe their experience which is mm. uh, an issue they've created this huge industry around the word trauma so all these self-help gurus and just a lot of people who who are capitalizing on this word having its its day in the sun and making a lot of money off it but again ptsd is completely divorced from that and generally just normal life experiences are now trauma like nobody had an ideal childhood Nobody has an ideal life. Mm -hmm. Life is an ideal life. It's fucking difficult. But, you know, in this mm -hmm. in this kind of you're so special Western world, um, not all of the West, but in this little bubble, um, anything that's not ideal is trauma or oppression. <laughs> that's it. I did I do feel like, you know, what you mentioned, like the the illustration of Mummy didn't buy me a pony mm. is part of the problem. It's that we haven't had hard so many of us have not had difficult lives. Yeah. So that we, that anything that it was slightly difficult is, well, that's just the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to um, 
someone I know who's Indian a couple of years ago, actually, when I was really getting into this stuff, who's a bit older. Um, and I was explaining about all this trauma stuff and the frustration I had with what I'm seeing and, uh, me being canceled and uh, talking and going. And he, his answer was, yeah, the problem is this generation hasn't had a war. And while I don't think we should mm. have had a war, um, the underlying, you know, the philosophy or the message that's pointing to is that you haven't known anything really difficult, just like you said. You haven't known, you know, when you think about everything that goes along with the war, it's it's not just that what you immediately think of, it's everyone who's left behind and the rationing and the fear and the you know, like in London in the 40s, hiding from bombs and stuff like that. And then how you have to come together as a community, otherwise you wouldn't really survive. And mm -hmm. none of those those elements necessarily exist anymore. You don't really need each other to survive. So you have more and more people living in this sort of isolated, um, overly self-focused, neurotic kind of way. And that's really being encouraged by this, you know, these mess this messaging and this content is that you should be quite neurotic and thinking about yourself all the time and some sort of like emotional upheaval all the time. And that means that you're healing <laughs> while just, you know, divorced from reality and from other people. That's a great mm. way to stay not feeling very good. Right. I, it reminds mm. me of that quote, but I never get it right. It's something to do with like um, soft men make war, which make tough men, which oh. create peace, which create soft men, which create war, which create, you know, or something like that. Soft it's men like create that. hard times, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I know the one. Yes. I know the one. Yeah, and Joe Brogan says it all the time, unsurprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, 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 but I... But I think it's interesting and I do think it's worth thinking about to yeah. like generationally, if you were born at any other time in history, would you be worse off? And the answer is, <laughs> yeah. well, if you, well, the nineties were really nice. I, I really wish I knew the nineties better. Yeah. I reckon the seventies and eighties were probably kind of nice too. Yeah. Unless you went to Vietnam or unless you were in some other, uh, you know, conflict from around the world. Um, but I do, I want to talk about, um, what about gaslighting? <laughs> what about That's gaslighting? That's another one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love, um, I love the gaslighting, love bombing phrasing. Like, it's oh. like, me God, it's you gaslighting, you're gatekeeping, you're love bombing. I'm like, what are these terms? <laughs> and when did they become so mainstream? You just toss them around like it's nothing. That's the thing with this kind of like over-therapized culture where everything is, you know, like everything is some idiotic jargony thing that's not anything to do with psychology or psychotherapy by the way let me add this is like some pop psychology weird american stuff mm -hmm. so gaslighting is from this film called i think it was actually called gaslight or gaslighting i don't can't remember um and this guy mm -hmm. is is making his wife think that she's losing it and that she's going crazy because he keeps kind of messing with these lights that are lit by gas gas lights and um she keeps thinking they're on he's secretly lighting them and then telling her that right you're losing it because nothing's on there and you're seeing things that aren't actually there so gaslighting is actually meant to be when you make somebody 
sort of lose their grip on reality or question their their sense of reality. Not when someone disagrees with you. That's not gaslighting. So not it's not technical term, <laughs> and you're not even using a, te- a non technical term correctly. So you know <laughs> that's not a thing. I, I love it. And then you know, love this, this... bombing is meant to be again not a technical term. It's apparently when so there's a whole subculture of people who believe they're empaths and that narcissists target them because they are so and and according to them again they completely ignore they don't know what narcissism is and that narcissism is different to narcissistic personality disorder and there's something called healthy narcissism mm. which most most people actually have if you have any degree of self-esteem you actually have some narcissism within you but anyway so narcissists are these demons who've come straight out of like you know lucifer's butt and come onto earth and they're targeting these special special like um empaths who are you know dropped down from heaven <laughs> and they have so much goodness in them that the not demon yeah. narcissists are trying to get them and suck out the goodness and so they first love bomb you so they confuse you with their demon narcissist ways and that's love bomb and okay mm. so you can kind of like outside of the subculture people use it in a less silly way as well and not de- love bombing is sort of when someone's kind of disingenuous but they're paying you way too many compliments and they're kind of you know ingratiating themselves to you mm-hmm. and you know what it's like you get that on social media quite a bit as well yeah i mean that's a real i i i feel like love bombing is a real thing like in the sense that i've probably done it to i've probably done it to people you know but how i would defend myself was like i was just figuring it out too yeah i thought that i i really liked you more than i did yeah and then figured out that i don't actually like you that much then i leave then you go you love bomb me which is fair but some people are figuring it out and you know you figure it out in a positive way you go you're beautiful yeah and they're like oh my gosh and you're like i really like you because you do yeah <laughs> and then you know yeah you can mess with people So like I think love bombing is like legitimate. Well, but- I don't think that doesn't sound at all like love bombing to me. That sounds just like what happens when you're dating or even if you're experienced or not experienced it can happen to anybody. You think you like someone more than you like them. Mm. And um you maybe invest a bit more than you meant to and then you realize and you pull back and course correct that's life people fall in love fall out of love like each other don't like each other yeah. change their mind that's that's what happens i think this is part of the problem of trying to codify everything mm-hmm. and then give everything like a sinister spin mm. like you know it's i think it's a lot of people who have serious anxiety around the fact that most of this stuff not only will you not understand in your lifetime and no one will you will never be able to control it you can't quantify why somebody likes someone or doesn't you can't quantify why attraction happens like even if you put down all the pheromones and do all the studies and there's still always going to be confounding variables you're never going to know mm. most of the mysteries of the world we're never going to know you're never going to be able to control why things happen or don't happen or the outcome of your you know the effort that you put in and and unfortunately or fortunately that's what life is and you can just embrace that and be quite liberated by it i think that's the other side of the coin which is nice yeah i there's something you touched on there that i just want to double click on there was this i think about the age that i am i'm so happy that when i was out there dating you know getting broken up with or breaking up with people 
that there wasn't mm. social media right at the center of our lives that I could complain about it, write about it, mm. post about it, because I would have. Like if I was yeah. if I was 18, when I got first heartbroken, I was 18 and I had TikTok, I would have embarrassed myself like crazy and posted about it and called her a narcissist and made up names, you know, said things about her that were untrue or that were just like too much. Or And then people would have done the same thing to me. And I think I, I see friends now who are young and, and, they, and they post, I'm like, you know, we just used to keep that to ourselves. Like if you're going through heartbreak, you don't have to post about it. And I saw her, there's a woman online who I'm a, who I'm a friend of. She's got quite a following. And she and there was a guy who like met her uh, off the internet and was like, ah, I'm not really into it. Maybe he was a bit harsh with her after meeting her because he thought that she'd look a bit better than she did. He told her that like an idiot, mm. pushed her away, and then she went on to it. She let like everybody know on TikTok. She wrote to his university, you know, like she had people, hordes of her followers writing to the university. Like it's like Jesus. I am so glad I didn't have social media back. <laughs> you know what this makes me think of is this came up recently in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing. Is that mm. like I don't want to get into who's and what who did what blah blah blah. But one of the forensic psychologists said something about how there I think there's it's been documented that women with personality disorders weaponize bureaucracy against men. Mm. So this is another way to do that now mm. and this is another so when you come back to all the women who hate kim kardashian again it's again it's a, it's another way social media has given this anti-social impulse especially people who have this stronger kind of neurotic personality organization and they can't really handle the those negative feelings and and sit with them bear bear with them or maybe a lack of self-awareness about what role did you play or maybe just a bit of I don't know, acceptance. Yeah, they didn't like me. I guess I'm not their cup of tea. Okay, I'll move on or find someone else. And you have this way that mm -hmm. allows impulsivity to, there's there's no mitigation for impulsivity whatsoever. There's no, are you sure you want to say that? It's post, you can go on Twitter, you can go on TikTok, you can, and it's out in the public sphere and you can incite a mob of hundreds of thousands or even millions of people or get someone writing to a university because they rejected a date. And what, his academic career is possibly ruined now because he didn't like someone on a date right. because of social media. So, yeah, that this is uh, it's really worrying. Yes. It's really, really worrying. Yep. Um, I have a feeling going, like, I look at social media kind of like I look at cocaine. It is. Like, um you're never going to be able to use cocaine carefully ever. So you have to know what you're using and bear it in mind. Like I'm going online right now. I'm going to post and ghost or um, I'm going to give myself 20 minutes to do some comments and then get off it again or delete it off the weekends or whatever it is. Like you have to know what you're dealing with and you have to bear in mind that the longer I'm on here, the more it's fucking with my head and my assessment of reality is going to get you know, messed with a bit, the more it, you notice if you've been online for 20 minutes or more, you start getting a bit aggravated. <laughs> it starts to happen or you're scrolling and yeah, you get a bit more disoriented. Yeah. And I found um, every time I have a break, it takes a day or two, but it's like a mind virus has been taken out of your head. It just, your perspective changes so massively. And I hope and I predict mm. maybe in the future, we're going to look at this like a bit like we look at smoking. 
And just like you have warnings on cigarette packages, I hope we have warnings on social media because mm. there's so much here we don't know what it you you don't know what it does to people. The people who make it don't let their kids have it. What does that tell you? <laughs> yeah, you know. Have you got any tips for ways to get off social media when you do take a break? How do you how do you police that upon yourself? One, you've got to be realistic about the fact that this is an addictive thing. It um, look, not addictive in the same sense of like a physiological dependence, but there's a dopamine there's a dopamine seeking sense. There's a like a behavioral habitual thing that's happened. You know, you open your phone mm. before you realize that you opened Instagram because your thumb just goes there yeah. automatically. Yeah. You're not planning to open it; you just open it. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff is gonna happen. Um, I think if you really seriously want to have a break, you're going to have to delete it off your phone altogether. Or on the other hand, you give yourself, you know, you can, you don't have to go all the way. You can set limits on it. I think most phones have a limit thing that, right, I can have, if you're on it all day long, you can change it, you you know, set a limit for three hours. When I hit my three hour limit, then I'm locked out of Instagram. For me, I just stopped because I use it in, not just as a consumer, but I post stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just decided it was the the most recent break I had wasn't planned. I started to feel really, really unwell and thought, I don't think I physically can actually do anything extraneous for the next few days and um, took a break. And within a few days, all the, the symptoms I was having that felt like mental health sort of difficulty kind of symptoms disappeared. And it was just social media stress. And it's completely changed the way I look at it. And what you want to get involved in and not get involved in and who you give access to. And, you know, like my platform's fairly big, yours is way bigger. And, you know, when you have like, it's you versus 200K or 900K or a million people, you don't have time to give someone the chance to come back be and be annoying the second time or be rude or abusive the second time. Mm. So I think you kind of have to have that you have to have that approach with social media, with social media. You wouldn't have it in real life. Someone's a little bit rude to you. You don't cut them off. Um, in social media, I think you have to. You have to be like that. You have to kind of mitigate the worst elements of social media by being a bit proactive about them. Mm. The time you spend on there, who gets to have access to you, you know, what you focus on, what you look at, you know? Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, I mean, I think that's really good advice about being kind of uh, militant about really negative, awful people who want to misunderstand you, who want to hate you, who want to just be trolls. Yeah. Get rid of them, block them, just get rid of them. There's no time. We don't have time for that. No, no, you don't have time for that. But But the other thing is taking a break. If I could tell you to buy one supplement and only one, which one would it be? Easily, without question, it'd be AG1. Why? Because it's an all-encompassing whole food multivitamin. We're talking prebiotics, probiotics, zinc, selenium. My vitamin C needs are met in one serving, a great serving of greens. And I love looking at this ingredients list. Wheatgrass, chlorella, spinach, beetroot, polyphenols from green tea and grapeseed, plus a whole bunch of extracts like ashwagandha, CoQ10, reishi and astralgus. Now, maybe all these names mean nothing to you. But if you were to go and buy all these ingredients individually, it'd cost you an arm and a leg. Instead, a subscription to AG1 is cheap as chips. It's actually cheaper than chips because what a bag of chips is what nowadays? Like five bucks, thanks to inflation. AG1 costs $3 a day for a huge host of nutrient-dense vitamin ingredients, also much better for you than chips. I've been taking AG1 literally every day for the past three months, frankly because I heard Professor Andrew Huberman takes it, and then I heard Dr. David Sinclair takes it. 
who I, I want to get on this show because he's a Harvard professor of anti-aging. So I gave into the pressure and damn, it's good. It's all keto, paleo, vegan, dairy, and gluten-free. So my morning routine is as follows. I put some salt in my hand and I lick it. Then I drink a big swig of water. Then I mix AG1 in a huge mason glass of water. The only thing AG1 is missing is vitamin D, but guess what? Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. XOXO, zaddy. At the beginning of 2020, when, you know, when COVID was coming out, was... Uh, people who did have those notifications on their phone that you've been online for 20 minutes, everyone was like, lol, like there's no fucking way. <laughs> Beginning of COVID was like, we're f it's six hours a day online. We have nothing else to do. Easy. Yeah, easy. It's disgraceful. If not more, honestly, I, swear, I, I, I would probably, if I went back and looked, I'm sure it would say 10, 12 hours a day mm -hmm. easily. Oh, I, I, yeah, and six was just a way of not embarrassing myself. I have no doubt it was, I was, it was <laughs> 10 as well. Like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Em embarrassing. And I, and I think that that has had an effect on where we're at now is like, we're not off on our phones any less. Yeah. We're on our phones just as much as we were when we were in lockdown. Yeah. And I think um, that's something really important actually to think about is that we've had two years now where life was completely upended and all these things changed. And I think the amount of time we were on social media the last two years are you know, all the things we've talked about, cancel culture and some of the stuff that happens online is a direct consequence of that. I think they were going to happen anyway, but they accelerated because of how online we were in the last two years. So we've got to, we've got to start to think about renegotiating our relationship with things like social media that we've lent on in the last two years. Like life is getting back to normal now. So you don't need social media to be your crutch. There are other places to go other than online. I think it's important to to renegotiate that relationship. When you think about before COVID, for me, for my life, social media was one little part of my life. During the pandemic, social media became a really central piece of my life. Mm -hmm. And we're now coming back to the world, not exactly as it was, but, but you know, we're getting back to normal. Social media needs to go back in its box of being a, a small part of your life, mm -hmm. not this main central bit of your life yeah somebody asked um one of my followers asked a question of you and it was how should we be setting up boundaries between our social media life and our real life that's an interesting question um i think it depends in in what context really because i think we've got to start to look at social media as it's not not real life it's just virtual life mm -hmm. you know yep. there's a lot happening on there we kind of look social media or irl is a false it's a false equivalence because they're real people on there doing doing you know it's not a fantasy world it's not a dreamland yeah um mm -hmm. so you want to have um if i'm gonna speculate on what they might mean if it depends how much time you're spending on there, like, well, you've just got to be disciplined. There's no, you know, we hate the word discipline now, but you've got to actually be disciplined mm -hmm. and you've got to tell yourself, right, when I've done this, I'm stopping, hold yourself accountable to it and stop it. And like, yeah. and how do I do it? You just do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you do it. There's no, there's no secret thing there. It sucks. It's hard for everybody, even the most disciplined person. The difference is 
they make themselves do it. So you just do it. If it's in terms of, um, you know, you're losing yourself in social media, well, then that's something really important you need to pay attention to right now, not mess around with and get off it. I can't imagine what, what else they might mean. What do you think? Well, you know, with you and I, where we have a particular context, which is our brands and our work are very online. They're very on social media. Like people, mm. we, we make money through our social media. It is part of our branding. So it's like separating yourself from that is, is quite difficult. You know, if, mm-hmm. if I post a whole bunch of videos and nobody thinks that they're good, mm-hmm. then it's like, well, I am not good. So I could be that, like setting the boundary of knowing the difference between your brand and you. Yeah. 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 I don't even like, like, I don't even like to think of myself as a brand. As people call me that sometimes, I like to, th- like, I'm a woman with a phone. <laughs> oh, you are. Oh, you are. You are a brand. <laughs> Am I? I mean, you, I mean, look, you legitimately, you are. Because whenever you I, you, I see your posts, I I know that it's yours before I even look at the name. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You, you've kind of branded yourself in a way that when I, you know, it's like the literal brand, you know, when you brand a, you know, whatever, it, that's literally what I'm seeing whenever I see you, like your, your stuff come up. That makes sense. You know that feeling when you get into bed at the end of a long day, knowing that you nailed it, you got it done. And not only did you get it done, you kind of thrived. That is one of my favorite feelings. Well, I have great news. I wrote a daily checklist and put it in a notebook for you to use. It's all the things that I believe you must do to give yourself your best chance at a good day. There's five things, actions you can do every day that take an hour at most to bring yourself into better alignment with yourself and therefore the world around you. Now, you may have seen a week ago, I posted five agreements. Those were move for half an hour daily, could be any type of movement, including sex, but not including starfish. For half an hour total, cook yourself one meal, get five to 10 minutes of natural light every morning, give yourself a compliment, and lastly, give someone else a compliment. I've named the checklist your best chance at a good day, because I believe these five things are the key to a great day. And as you get them done, you can tick them off and feel really good about yourself. When you open the first page, I've written a brief description of the checklist and why I think those things are so important. And after that, there's a checklist at the top of every page, about 200 pages, and the rest of the page is just your notebook for writing your to-do lists and your, you know, your drawing of penises that, that you always do. If you're interested, we've put the link in the show notes and there's a link in my bio. I think you should feel free to get a copy for yourself, for a friend or a family member. This isn't about me. They don't have to know who I am for this to be relevant. I reckon it's the perfect tool for anyone who's at any part of their journey of being better. And I think it's particularly good for anyone who's starting out on that journey. Okay. Link in bio and the show notes. I love you. XOXO. It's Zaddy.